top 10 mistakes that deliverance ministers make. Now, first and foremost, we love ministry of deliverance. But with every ministry, with every good thing, a lot of times there are mistakes that we make out of immaturity. Sometimes we make those mistakes because of wrong motives. Sometimes we make those mistakes because of ignorance. I am not in any way an expert on this. I'm a young man who learn who's learning from other people as well as a ministry that practices deliverance, a ministry that believes in this call that Jesus has given to believers and who sees a great need. But as well as who sees their abuses and sometimes there are things that are done wrong that we need to bring alignment into this ministry. Now we understand that salvation is the most important gift and we don't rejoice that demons obey us but we rejoice that our names are written in the book of life. Luke chapter 10 verse 20. So I just want to start with that. That's, that is the most important mission and the call of every Christian. It is to bring people to Jesus Christ. To bring people to the saving knowledge of Jesus and for people to repent of their sins and receive the gift of salvation. The most important thing is not healing, it's not deliverance, it's not provision, it's not getting married, it's not getting education, it's not honestly living a happy life. It's to be saved and to be reconciled to God. And I believe in that and I believe every minister who does deliverance and whether you don't do deliverance, that's something we have to as Christians come to agreement with. If you are doing deliverance, this has to be a priority. Deliverance ministry is really leading people to Jesus. And that is for people to fall in love more with Jesus and for people to become missionaries to the world. Now here are my top 10 errors or top 10 mistakes that are made in deliverance ministry. This is not pointing finger at anybody because I'm guilty of making these few of them myself and I'm growing and learning and I appreciate your kindness and your patience with everybody who is doing the ministry of deliverance. But nevertheless, let's address them. Number one is treating deliverance as a show instead of the ministry of mercy to the oppressed. People are not projects. And when we are beginning to treat ministry of deliverance because it's popular now, it's becoming trendy and it seems like a lot of young people who are looking for the next cool thing, they're jumping on that. And some people use ministry of deliverance to get exposure. Uh, they, they just don't want to miss out on things. They started to teach on it, not because of something that Jesus did and because it's something that people need and something that uh, you know is really needed, but because it's popular now and it's becoming trendy or controversial. Some people go into ministry of deliverance out of wrong motives to just really have good content, clickbait content to post on TikTok or to post on YouTube and to show off how anointed they are because when they pray, people shake, bake and manifest. And that is dangerous because we're using something that is sacred and holy, something Jesus did and something people desperately need really for a personal benefit. Instead of God using us, we are using it. We are using this ministry and using poor broken people. Here are a few things that I would encourage us to avoid turning deliverance into a show but to use it to serve people and that is before people come for deliverance to have a counseling with them. Give them some time that their needs and their hurts are heard. You really your view of deliverance will change when you get to know the story of people. Your a view of you know deliverance ministry making you as this powerful man of God demon slayer will really change when you begin to get to know the hurts and the pains of people. Also when you're praying for deliverance don't hurt a person. Now I understand component is that it's not a person that's speaking out or manifesting it's a demon but it does not give us a right to physically hurt a person. I've heard deliverances where a minister 
would make a person drink something so that they will puke and they will drag him to the bathroom and physically hit him. So hitting the demons out and it's, it's completely unacceptable. We have to preserve the dignity of a person who is being delivered. Saying that the person is free when they are not free is also, honestly, it's more for the show than it's serving a person. I think it's not fair and it's not right when the person is still not delivered to declare them free. It's more important maybe to say, hey, they're free from this demon, but they need more help and still continue to minister to them maybe the next day or the next week and, and to give them that attention instead of just kind of making yourself look like you're getting everybody delivered under a particular time. This is not a competition. This is not a race. This is a person that is looking for freedom and is needing deliverance. Now, not having any follow-up when the person is delivered is also something that is more of a show instead of a serving a person. When you're going into the ministry of deliverance and you're thinking that this is just going to make you look cool and like super spiritual and everything, you're, you're in it for the wrong reasons. Ministry of deliverance is extremely time-consuming, which is one of the reasons many people don't do it. And those who take the shortcut by treating people as projects and just simply bang, 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 you know, getting every pushing somebody to the floor and just like doing this thing for the for the views or for the clicks or for, for all of that stuff that, that that is a show that's not serving that person and one of the ways you can serve the person is you talk to the person before they receive prayer don't hit that person don't push that person please on the ground there's no need to push people Jesus didn't push people we shouldn't either and then begin to do a follow-up on the people that you prayed for how are they doing do they need more encouragement do they need more prayer and that takes time but it shows value and dignity to a person. Another component about this is we don't have a right to post somebody's deliverance and healing without permission. And so one of the things that people do in our conferences is they sign media release forms and they become aware that stuff is recorded. And then usually the, the week that we post their deliverance, we follow up on them and see how they're doing and then let them know we will be posting your deliverance. We've had few cases where because of their job and because of the sensitivity of their deliverance where certain videos after they've given us the permission, they asked us to take down and so we take it down. Out of the, all the deliverances that we do, we honestly post very few in comparison how many videos and how many testimonies we have recorded. But it's important that we don't do deliverance for media. We do deliverance for ministry and to help people that are needing deliverance. Number two mistake is knowing the authority of the name of Jesus but not walking in the anointing of the Holy Spirit. People who practice deliverance can very quickly come to the realization that the name of Jesus has power. People who did that in Matthew chapter 7 who didn't even know Jesus Christ and Jesus did not know them, they practiced lawlessness, yet they still were effective in the ministry of deliverance. You may say, how is that possible? Low-ranking demons, you can get them out even without walking with the Lord. But then there will be this barrier you will hit like the sons of Sceva did where it will backfire if you don't walk in the anointing of the Holy Spirit. We're not talking about perfection. We're not talking about being better than other people. We're talking about walking in the anointing of the Holy Spirit. What is that? Anointing is the overflow of the life of God in His servant. That means that you're filled with God. That means that you are dedicated to the Lord. That means that you're living a crucified life. That means that you're killing your private lions before you're trying to embark on defeating public giants. That means that you're overcoming temptations, trials and tribulations on your personal level 
and then you're also being used by God to help other people overcome their problems, spiritual ones, on the public level or more like on the visible level with other people. And it's important that you never take your last deliverance as God's stamp of approval on your life and choices. You have to examine your life with God's Word instead of examining in the life of your latest, coolest, most amazing miracle, deliverance or spiritual insight or your education or success or growth of your ministry of your church or maybe how God is blessing you financially. Those are not the signs that God is pleased with you. The sign is the Word of God and the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Mistake number three is making a formula of deliverance and making that formula more important than dependence on the Holy Spirit. Now if you do any deliverance for any particular of time or do read, watch videos, our videos, other books, you will see that there are particular rules of engagement. There's particular principles that you can apply that will work effectively in many cases during deliverance. The danger is when we begin to turn formulas into these divine Ten Commandments and the laws of casting out demons. And what that happens, what that does is that it becomes mechanical when it almost seems like we don't need the Holy Spirit anymore. We just simply have this formula and we have this ritual that we follow. Now, I know a lot of ministers who, and every minister has their own method of casting out demons. But it's important as Christians that we come back to the Bible. And in the Bible, we see three very simple, practical principles of casting out demons. It's done by the power of the Holy Spirit, Matthew chapter 12 verse 28. It's done by the power of the name of Jesus, Mark chapter 16 verse 17. And it's done by demons being cast out, meaning they don't, we don't pray to the Father to cast them out, we don't hug them out, we don't love them out, we don't crucify them out, we don't punch them out, we cast them out. And you can see all of those verses, Matthew chapter 8 verse 16, 9, 33, 10 verse 1, 10 verse 8, 12 verse 28 and so forth and so on. In most of the cases, pretty much all of the cases, Jesus cast demons out. And so everything else, talking to demons, closing the open doors, breaking the legal rights and you know getting the demon to confess its own doom, renouncing, all of these things are good. But these things are not necessarily the laws of deliverance. You can see deliverance in the New Testament and in Book of Acts where none of those rituals or practices were practiced and people were still delivered. And you can also examine in your own life where those practices were put into practice and people were still not delivered. I'm not discrediting or saying those are not important. We have to have them. But it's important to depend on the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, I cast out demons by the Spirit of God. Disciples cast out demons by His name. And we have to come back to the simplicity of the ministry of deliverance by depending on the power of the Holy Spirit. Yes, some common sense. Yes, some knowledge of how demons operate. Experience of ours and experience of other people. But don't make your formula into the Ten Commandments of Moses. Mistake number four and that is not knowing the difference between disorders and demons. A lot of times, especially in the Western uh, culture, now there's an extreme side that is taking place right now where honestly you have a bad day and if you go to some doctors they can give you a diagnosis and give you and make you have a disorder and if every one of us will go to those doctors we, we will all come back with like 20 or 60 disorders that we have. So that's one extreme. But the other extreme and that is happening in the religious circles especially in charismatics and Pentecostal circles where every mental illness is seen as a demon. If somebody has autistic children, if somebody has a slow learning disorder, that's it, that's a demon. 
And we actually have a verse to back that up because we see that when the father came with the child who was epileptic, Jesus cast out a demon when disciples were trying to heal the child. So there's a case of that. We see Nebuchadnezzar, he went mental, but we don't see a demon that was a result of that. We see actually because of his pride that God pretty much, you know, allowed that to happen. But you must understand that a brain is a physical organ. Your mind is the spiritual entity, but your brain is physical. Think of like piano and the person playing piano, a musician. A musician can be healthy, knowledgeable and skilled. But if the piano he's using is broken, the musician cannot play and cannot produce the sound that he would like to produce or he can produce. A lot of people what they have is they have a problem with their brain. Sometimes because of certain damages and hurts and traumas. And sometimes people have taken drugs or sometimes just things happen. Like, you know, sometimes you break a leg. And brain can also suffer certain damages. Certain chemicals could be missing. And people, some people are born with that. It could be generational. It could be a demonic attack. I'm not saying that demons cannot be behind disorders. What I'm saying is we have to be careful that every mental disorder person that comes in we right away begin to deal with the issue of deliverance, especially when they're coming for prayer for healing. There is a difference between disorders and demons and every deliverance minister should be educated at least in the basic sense of the way on the difference between demons and disorders and the difference between the spiritual and the soulish. Because a lot of people go in and they cast out demons in the places where people need inner healing. They begin and they can actually traumatize and hurt a person deeply and the person can develop mental disorders because the deliverance minister was completely clueless and he has a hammer and everything is a nail. He beats on every single thing and they can actually cause more damage to those people. And how do I know that? Because we deal with those people who went through deliverances like that and the deliverance minister was convinced everything and anything is a demon and it's not always like that. There are demons and there are disorders. Sometimes it's both. So what do you do? You typically, when we have people come to us and they say, hey, I have a demon. We ask them about their mental health. If they've been to the doctor and they've been diagnosed with schizophrenia, bipolar or multiple personality disorder, PTSD, you know, we still pray for deliverance. We pray for deliverance, but we don't necessarily stop at that and say, okay, that means that's it. No, we still, after they pray for healing and if they still need mental health, we encourage them to seek mental health professionals and continue to take their medicine until their doctor tells them to stop. So deliverance deals with the demons. It's not always brings healing to the mind. I've seen it bring healing to the mind. I've seen people being mentally healed after they've been delivered. People have been supernaturally healed of mental disorders diagnosed by the doctors and they've been given clean bill of health. We've seen that. We see that in the Bible. But to say that this is a rule for every deliverance, it's not fair because deliverance deals with removing of the demon. It does not always mean that there is a total healing of the brain, total healing of the trauma the person has received, total removal of molestation, sexual abuse or satanic rituals that were done on those people. And to see deliverance as something that you come in and it's one thing that fixes everything is first of all it's flawed and it, and it can actually harm a person by feeding them with unrealistic expectations of what deliverance is supposed to provide that it fails to do so.
Number five mistake is turning interrogation of a demon with the demon into a conversation with the demon. Now Jesus interrogated demons. That, that means he asked them questions. We see that in Mark chapter 5 verses 8 through 9. He said, who are you? He asked, how many of you are there? And so there was an interrogation. It's not a conversation. It's a confrontation with the demon. It's when you're asking questions that pertain to this person's deliverance. Sometimes if you ask the right questions, demons will reveal other demons. If the demon obeys and responds to you about its name, then it acknowledges your authority as a follower of Christ. Interrogating a demon can help the person who's receiving deliverance to close doors and not to sin again. And sometimes interrogating a demon can actually help the plans of the demons to be revealed and the people of God to be warned and the fear of God comes on people of God. Now there's a danger in that as well. The danger is when you turn interrogation into a conversation. And I've seen this happen where people during deliverance begin to ask demons questions that should never be asked. Like about the Garden of Eden. They ask them about the kingdom of Satan. They begin to go deeper and ask demons, hey, is this minister your servant or your agent? Pretty much they have these ideas and they want to get confirmation for their ideas and their views and they're using demon to confirm their bias and their view. For example, sometimes a demon will say, I entered into this person through this preacher. It's a very dangerous thing to label a person who preaches the gospel and who preaches the name of Jesus, preaches salvation by grace, who drives out other demons, to use the demon's testimony as a proof that this person whom you don't like already is a heretic. It's, I call it conversation with demons. We should not get information from demons that do not pertain to this person's deliverance. Now, do we need to have a conversation or interrogation with demons? No, we don't. We can rely on the Holy Spirit. But it does help in the ministry of deliverance sometimes to interrogate a demon. Our practice is usually like this. We pray for deliverance. If the demon speaks out, then we command it, you know, to reveal what is its name, how did it enter, and how many demons are in there and what he has done to this person. So what is its name? How did the demon enter? And what this demon has done to this person and how many are there in that body? And then we command the demon to go afterwards. But anything beyond that, when you start begin to let demons take you on bunny trail in deliverance, you're actually opening yourself to a lot of deception and you can turn this thing. You're toying with something that should never be played and toyed with. Demons are dangerous and demons need to be commanded to go out in Jesus name. Now, number six mistake that I see is requiring people to sow a seed before they can be delivered or charging for deliverance. Now, there's a lot of criticism against the whole idea of charging for deliverance. And then I have friends who do that. People who are genuinely, they love God, they serve God. And some of their idea of charging for deliverance session is really like a counseling session. And some of them actually have a doctor degree. So they're actually more of like a therapist and a counselor uh, and a deliverance minister. So you're pretty much paying like for going and seeing a doctor, seeing a therapist, except they practice deliverance as well. And you can argue whether that's biblical or not. There's a proof that worker is worthy of his wages and everything. But I'm going to share just kind of my opinion and the practice that a lot of predominantly deliverance ministers uphold. And that is to offer freely what we freely have received and to trust God to meet our needs, meet the needs of our ministry, the expenses that we have, the payrolls, the, the budgets that we need to meet by his people and that his people will be generous to support the ministry. I think that we should stop avoiding creating 
a stumbling block for the ministry of deliverance by charging it. Jesus didn't do it. Um, a guy in the Bible in the New Testament, Simon, who wanted to come to Peter to get this anointing for money. You know, Peter didn't say, yeah, of course, no problem. Here's my cash app. Here's my Venmo. Go, go ahead and, and sow me a seed and I'll see the size of your seed and then I'm going to determine if you're worthy. I, I'm a big believer in sowing seeds. I'm a big believer in sacrifices. What I don't like and I think it, it's repulsive is when the person begins to set the price. Personally, I'm going to go on the bunny trail right here. Even when churches begin to set the price for their speakers, hey, you know what, I can come and speak if, what is what is the honorarium you're going to give me? If you're going to give me this, then I'm going to come and speak. Uh, to me, I think it's like we have taken this way too far. We have taken this way too far. This is beyond honoring. This is beyond, you know, blessing a minister. It's becoming literally a money machine in the church. And this is not starting with us. This has been a long time ago in the early church. Judas has played that trick. It didn't work. Ananias has done that. It didn't work. The servant of Elisha did that and it didn't work. And it will bite us. It will bite deliverance ministry if you are trying to use deliverance ministry to get wealthy. If you're financially struggling and you're using deliverance ministry to pay for your bills, go please find another job and do this as a ministry. And you will see God will bless you if you do it for people and do it in the right motives. Now, sometimes people say, well, in Malachi it says that if you bring your tithe to God's house, God will rebuke the devourer. First of all, that deals with tithing being brought to God's house. And it's about God rebuking the devourer, not a minister waiting for you to sow the seed so he can rebuke a demon on your behalf. That is not the scripture to be applied for that. Now, is there certain breakthroughs that happens when you sow the seed? Yes, when God tells you to sow the seed. Not when the preacher gives you a number or not when the preacher, a man, a woman, a servant of God begins to order what you should give. Now you may say Vlad but Elijah came to a poor widow and says you should do this for me and then God will bless you. Newsflash, you are not Elijah and she or he is not a widow. Okay, this happens once. Jesus told the rich ruler sell everything but have you noticed Jesus did not tell that rich ruler to sow a seed into Jesus's ministry. I'm all for it. If God puts on your heart to tell somebody, hey you got a lot of money and God wants you to start helping the poor. I'm okay with that. But the moment the deal becomes, hey, you need to sow into my ministry so I can pray for you. I think it's a scam. I think it's wrong and I think it's formal man manipulation. And I think people who do it needs to repent and honestly have some fear of God in their life because it's just, it's really bad rap. And it's one of the reasons why the world has every right to criticize us for being money hungry and materialist when it comes to that. Okay, as you see, I'm a little bit too passionate about that. Number seven mistake and that is commending angels instead of demons. We must understand that angels of God are the ministers of God. They're not ministers of us. Meaning they're on God's payroll. God has them as His army. They're part of His spiritual family and they hearken to the voice of the Lord. We see that God commends His angels in Psalm 91 verse 11. Nowhere in the Bible did God give permission to His redeemed children to command His angels. Angels do not take orders from you. Angels take orders from, from the Lord, from God. In fact, in the scriptures, even Jesus in Matthew 26 verse 53, He says, Or do you not think that I cannot pray now to my Father who will provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? Have you noticed that Jesus did not say, hey, I can just with a snap of my fingers invite angels and they will fight for me. Jesus didn't do that and nor should you. We should not dispatch, command, 
or boss around angels like they are working for us. Angels work on our behalf but not at our command. They work at His command. Now can you ask the Father to dispatch angels during deliverance? Yes, but you can also ask the Holy Spirit to help you. Holy Spirit is God. He lives inside of you. A lot of people, they really, they use this angel thing during deliverance, honestly, for the sake of showing themselves more superior or spiritual. Look, I cooperate with angels. Who cares? Question is, do you know how to be used by the Holy Spirit? The question is, are you used by the Holy Spirit? Because the Holy Spirit is your partner in deliverance. Jesus did not say, if I cast out demons by the power of angels. No, we don't drive out demons by angels. We drive out demons by the power of the Holy Spirit. And my friend, if you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. So you you don't need angels. I'm not saying you can't ask the Father for angels, but start dispatching and commanding angels like they are just there at your disposal waiting for you to tell them what to do. They are not like that. They're not working for you. They're working for Him and they're not there to hearken at your word. At least that's what the Bible says. Number eight mistake that people do during deliverance is when they are stepping out outside of their territory and fighting principalities in the air instead of casting out demons out of people. Now when you get involved in the ministry of spiritual warfare, you begin to see scriptures like the Bible says that we don't fight this physical war but we fight the spiritual war. We see this in Ephesians chapter 6 but then the way Paul applies that revelation of the spiritual warfare is by telling us to put on the armor of God and stand. He doesn't say to bind principalities. He doesn't say to go and to astral project into the into the heavenlies and begin to pull down and fight against the prince of this, regional demon of this. He tells us that now that you know we are in the spiritual warfare, there's this cosmic battle taking place. There are regional demons, principalities and rulers. Paul is saying, put on the armor of God, stand your ground. That's interesting, Paul. Didn't you know we can like go upstairs and like move things and, and level things? I know there's a deeper revelations that some people claim to have. They release books about it and, and a lot of Christians fall into that. It's honestly borderline new age and it's extremely dangerous. Why it's dangerous? Because nowhere do you see Jesus telling His disciples to do warfare on rulers and regional demons. Even Jesus, when the principality came against Him in the form of a storm, when He was going to deliver the, lead, the men, two people, two men who had legions of demons, Jesus did not fight the principality. He simply destroyed the works that principalities were trying to do by stopping the storm. Demons, we have to understand, is that demons who live in people we are given authority over. The spiritual powers and rulers in the heavenlies we don't have authority over. We are at war with them and the way we conquer them is by preaching the good news and pulling people out from darkness and driving demons out of people. By this we weaken the principality in our region to the point where the more people serve Jesus, the less that principality has a stronghold over that region. Even Daniel, he didn't fight the principality of Persia. He fasted and prayed for his people and God dispatched his angels to fight the principalities. You must understand territorial demons, they will protect their turf inside of the individual. And sometimes when you're casting out a demon, a demon will say, I am principality. And so Sometimes it's actual principality and other times it's the demon that takes the name of the principality that sent him to this person's life. The demon we send to the pit and principalities, we actually send them back to the heavenlies because they will await judgment from God eventually. But that judgment does not come from us. If you want to change your city, begin to love on people. If you want to change your city, preach the gospel. If you want to change your city, 
deliver people who are demonized and you will weaken the spiritual forces of your city. Simply by astral projecting and going into the heavenlies and binding principalities, you're stepping yourself into the territory God doesn't promise to protect you and there will be consequences. Mistake number nine that deliverance ministries make and that is when we teach people that after deliverance if they don't get filled they will have more demons. It's a flawed teaching, it's a dangerous teaching and it's not scriptural. Now should people after deliverance develop discipline? 100%. Should they join a local church? You bet. Should they develop Bible reading, Bible reading habits and prayers and fasting? Of course they should because now they're free. They need to just keep fighting the devil, keep fighting the flesh and keep fighting the world. But the idea that if you don't get filled, you will have seven demons that will come back into your life is not scriptural. We scare the living lights out of people and it's not even in the Bible. In the Bible in Matthew chapter 12 verse 43 through 45, it's talking about when an unclean spirit goes out of a man. Not cast out of a man but goes out of a man. Let me give you the example. I leave my office every single day. Okay, that is what it means. But when you get evicted from your house, you're not coming back to your house. You're evicted. Casting out a demon is eviction of a demon. When a demon goes out of a man, speaks of a demon leaving his place of dwelling to look for a better place. And demons, when they live in people, they actually don't dwell there 24-7 because they come during weak moments, they come during weak times, and then they go back and, and you know, run havoc in other people's lives. That's why a demonized person doesn't get tormented 24-7. Some during the night, some during the evening, some just once a week. And, and so it's not all the time because demon is not staying with you all the time. Demon is just pretty much running around a lot of times and they go out in and out. Like we see that King Saul had an evil spirit will come upon him occasionally and it would get tormented even though he occupied Saul's life. But he didn't necessarily torment him all the time. Demons can go out of their own volition. But it does not mean that his legal right is broken. It does not mean that open doors have been closed. And it doesn't mean that this person has renounced any claim that the demon had to enter this person in the first place. And I want you to notice that the demon goes in, looks for resting place, finds, finds some other demons and then comes back and enters into his house. As a Christian, you don't belong to demons. And therefore, I believe this scripture does not apply to a person who got delivered and to a Christian. How do I know that? Because at the end of this parable, Jesus says, so will this will happen to this wicked generation. As a Christian, you're not a wicked generation. You are royal priesthood and you are chosen generation. So this verse does not apply to a Christian who got delivered from demons because number one, your demons were expelled, evicted. They didn't leave of their own choice. And number two is that you are a property of Jesus. You were purchased by Jesus. And number three, you're not a, you're not a wicked generation. You are a chosen generation. And therefore this verse does not apply. Now demons can come back if you open the door. If you don't open the door, they won't come back. Period. Why? Because not being filled is not an open door. Let me say that again. All of us go through times when honestly we feel empty and dry. That does not open doors to demons. What opens doors to demons is sin, witchcraft, occult, unforgiveness. But feel, feeling emotionally dry and feeling emotionally empty is not an open door. Now if you stay there and you decide to do some other hideous and horrible things to fill yourself with, that will open the door to demons. So to teach believers who just got delivered, if you don't fill yourself, you're going to get seven more demons is flawed, is wrong and it's not understanding the basic rules of how demons operate. They look for open doors. They don't, like it's, it's like this, to say that 
I had a, a mouse in my house about uh, two weeks ago. We cut the mouse, threw it away. Imagine when I bought the mouse trap, people in the store would tell me, hey Vlad, if you don't fill your house, then more mice will come in. No, mice did not come because my house is filled or empty. Mice came in because there was an opening. The only way to stop mice from coming in is to close the opening. So the only way not for demons to come back is not to give them a place. Paul says, don't give place to the devil. So please stop teaching people that if they get delivered and they don't fill their life, more demons will come in. If they get delivered and they keep their life open to demons by doing the very things that got those demons in the first place, then the demons will come in not because they're empty. Should they fill their life? Of course, but it's not because they're afraid of more demons coming in. Mistake number 10 and that is telling people that deliverance will fix everything and everything is a demon. I believe that's a mistake. As I mentioned about mental disorders and demons, I'm going to highlight on something else. Deliverance does not fix all of your problems. Now initially the moment you get delivered, first few days sometimes can feel so amazing. You feel like man you're on cloud nine, so much was missing in your life. But after a while you will actually come back to normal life and normal life has trials, normal life has temptations and tribulations and normal life has battles. Deliverance gets you free from bondage, not from battles. In fact, sometimes when you get delivered, your battles increase. Paul says to Timothy, therefore you must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. So when you get delivered, don't have this fairy tale ending that somehow all of your problems will be gone. Every hurt you've ever experienced will never happen again. You will never get offended anymore. You will never feel lazy anymore. The flesh is gone, the world is gone and the devil is gone. No, my friend. All of those things are still there. You're still you. The past is still there. The present is still there. The only thing that's not there is a demon. The only thing that's not there is the curse. If you're lazy before this, you're still going to have to learn to exercise discipline. You're still going to have to learn to crucify the flesh. Your flesh is not going to become Christian because you got demons out of you. You will have a better chance at fighting. I do believe when you get delivered, it's like your hands are untied and now you have a fighting chance to overcome but it does not make life completely easy. Life is still a struggle. We still live in the world where you will have tribulation. Jesus says, but I've overcome the world and I will give you the strength to do that. So don't live with this mindset that if I get delivered, everything is going to be perfect and good. A lot of things change. I cannot tell you how many stories of people's lives are drastically changed. But even those whose lives are drastically changed, who have testified even in our church and tears rolling down their eyes and no dry eye in our church because people are moved by how powerful the testimony is. If you ask that person, are they facing still challenges? They'll tell you yes. They still have challenges in their relationships. They still have challenges at work. This earth is not heaven. Not yet. This is still earth. We're still under enemy's territory and we are still fighting. And so deliverance does not fix everything because everything is not a demon. These are 10 main mistakes of deliverance. I'm pretty sure I missed few, but if you can let me know what some things you've seen in the ministry of deliverance that we honestly need to address, drop that in the comments below. Hey, thank you for watching this video. I know this was a little bit longer content and I appreciate you staying all the way through till the end. Hit like to this video. It can help with the algorithm and share this with your church or with your deliverance ministry so that it could bring blessing to other people.